All right, Luke chapter 11, <clears throat> verses 29. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 11, verse 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall be no sign be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented, not, they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which have come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye, therefore when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy, whole, thy body also is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. And as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him, and he went in, and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said unto him, Now do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Ye fools, not he that made that which is without make that which is within also, but rather give alms of such things as you had, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye love the othermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are as graves which appear not, and the men that walk over them are not aware of them. Then they answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, Thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievously born, and ye yourselves touched not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly ye bear witness that ye allow the deeds of your fathers, for they killed Indeed killed them, and ye build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar and the temple. Verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge, and entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in he hindered. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently, and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him, and seeking to catch him something out of his mouth, that they might accuse him. I titled this message this morning, Taking Away the Key of Knowledge. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to open your precious word. 
And Lord, I pray as you look under the truths of Scripture today that we'd be challenged and encouraged, that our faith would be strengthened, that we would cast down doubts and imaginations which raise themselves against the promises of God. So Lord, just show yourself strong. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray, Father, that you would convince those that may be questioning and may be doubting your promises, your person. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus told the lawyer that they take away the key of knowledge. Excuse me. The key of knowledge spoken of by the Lord in verse 52 is the ability and opportunity to obtain the knowledge of the truth. When the Bible speaks of the knowledge of the truth, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, it speaks of men and women of learning. These are educated people. They're, they're studying, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're never able to understand. They're never able to grasp it. Never able to, uh, to obtain eternal life. They are willfully blind and refuse to accept the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is. They refuse to put complete trust in Him by faith because they cannot visualize the future. based on the evidence of the past and the promises of the Word of God. And so, they take away. In other words, then, therefore, taken from them is this key of knowledge or ability to be saved by faith. Now, they do this by several 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 ways that the Lord describes here, I believe, in this chapter. First of all, uh, by seeking signs or seeking, we have this word today, experiences. Experiences. And Jesus said in verse 29, and when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. See, they were seeking a sign. They wanted some experience or something particular just for them. They were looking for something special for themselves. You know, you, you'll hear people say, well, I wish the Lord would just show himself to me. Or I want the Lord to do something more. Or I've heard people say, well, the Lord never did anything for me. That's, a, that's about the most arrogant statement you could ever hear. You have life. You have the opportunity to hear. Think of it. When you're talking to somebody about the Lord and they make a statement like that, they have, you're giving them the opportunity to hear the truth and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then they turn around and say, God never did anything for me. You're the rich man in hell who had five brothers who were probably rich too, like him. 
That's what they wanted. They wanted a sign. He wanted, he wanted the Lord to give them, them a special sign. Of course, the Lord said, they have Moses and the prophets. You know, Peter could have said, hey, I had my own special sign. He, he said, I, I, I saw him transfigured on the mountain. I heard the voice from heaven. But he said, I have a more sure word of prophecy. That experience has nothing to bear upon my salvation. In other words, I can't depend upon that. There's something more certain than that. Something more steadfast than that. Something more solid than that. And that's the word of God. See, to have this idea that I need a sign or I need an experience just made for me is arrogance. It's pride. Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. His own ways. Jeremiah eighteen twelve says, And they said, There is no hope. But we'll walk after our own devices. And we will, everyone, do the imagination of his evil heart. See, this idea of seeking a sign or an experience just for me is boasting against the Lord. It's pride. It's turning away from the, it's, it's taking away the key of knowledge. Secondly, another thing that I see here is uh, uh, they, they take away the key of knowledge by a self-prescribed way of worship. You notice in verse 39, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Now you do Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening, ravening and wickedness. Ye fools, not he that made that which is without, make that which is within also, but rather give alms of such things that you have, and behold, all things are clean unto you. But woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe, mint and rue, and all manner of herbs. That's good. It's good to tithe. But here's the problem. Here's where they self-prescribe. But you pass over judgment and the love of God. These, he says, ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. In other words, it was good that you tithe, mint and rue, that, that's, you're supposed to do that, and you should do that as God's children. But he said that you're passing over judgment and love of God. What about them? You know, we, live in a, we live in a world of Christianity where Christians think they can pick and choose what they want from God and, not, and, and, and reject what they don't want. It's self-prescribed worship. Whatever's true suits their desires, that's what they'll take. And if it doesn't suit, then they just reject it. Well, I'm just not convicted about that. In other words, what they're saying is, well, I don't feel. I don't have some feeling of conviction about that. You know, I know the Bible says that, but I don't have some... Wait a minute. If the Bible says it, doesn't matter how you feel about it. You do it. You don't obey it. You know, they, they tie, yes, they were casting into the treasury of their, of their wealth. 
but they passed over or they neglected judgment and the love of God. You know, the word judgment here means right or justice. You know, they were unjust or partial in their dealings and rulings with men. He goes and talks about the lawyers here. He says in verse 46, Woe unto you also, you lawyers, for you laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. In other words, you, can, you lay a burden upon people inferior to you, but you wouldn't do it yourself. I remember a good illustration of this. I, I remember reading the uh, book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome by Charles Chinnickley. Charles Chinnickley was raised Catholic. He was a Catholic priest for uh, up until I think he was 50. I think at 50 he got saved, and he became a Presbyterian uh, pastor. And so he, in his whole life, his whole life, there were, even though he was a Catholic priest, there was, there was much about the Catholic church and the priesthood he hated. He was a moral man. He was a champion of temperance. And, one, and, and, and fact, at one point in his life, to get away from the drunkenness and the immorality of the priest, he thought he'd go to a monastery because it sickened him so bad. He thought he'd go to a monastery and get away from it. And he said it was worse in the monastery than it was out. And this was during the 1800s. But anyway, he tells a story when he was a little boy. His father died. The priest comes to visit. And says to her, his mother, your husband's in purgatory, and to pay for a mass, you need to pay for a mass so we can pray him out of purgatory. And she said, I have nothing. He said, I'll take your cow. The last thing they had. And his mother begged and begged with tears not to take their cow. He said, the last thing I remember is my mother weeping and watching that priest lead our cow down the road. You see, judgment and love. You know, the love... This was a, this was a, this you know they took advantage of those that were poor. Uh, this is a, you know this is a problem, continual problem from Nehemiah's day. We learned about that in studying Nehemiah in, in central class. You know, and this was a stark contrast we've seen between the Pharisees and the church. Remember when there were people in the church that had need? What did the other people do? They sold what they had and brought it and distributed to those that had need. But not the Pharisees. In fact, they dedicated all their things to the Lord so they could deprive their parents of their needs and not have to provide for them. Jeremiah 17.11 says this, As the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days and at his end be a fool. Judgment. And love. Doing right, being just. And Jesus here exposes the real problem. The real problem is they have diseased eyes. 
or really it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. In verses 33 through 36, he says, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, that, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when an eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when an eye is evil, thy whole body is full of darkness. Take heed, therefore, that the light which is in thee be not darkness. If thy whole body, therefore, be full of light, having no part dark, the whole shall be full of light, as when the bright shining of a candle doth give thee light. Your Spurgeon said this, quote, If you do not see Jesus, it is not because he has hidden himself in the darkness, but because your eyes are blinded. Your eyes are blinded. Faith is a choice. It's an act of the will. Remember in John chapter 9, excuse me, Jesus healed a blind man. And, uh, and a man that was born blind. And so, and, it, and I think it was on the Sabbath day also, which only adds to the, you know, the problem with the Pharisees. And, and so they questioned him about this, and he told them. And in verse 27, they, they call him again, and, and he, this is what he says. He answered them, I have told you already, and notice what it says, and ye did not hear. In other words, they choose not to listen to his testimony. They chose not to listen to his testimony. You see, faith is a choice. It's an act of the will. An act of the heart, you might say. Spurgeon goes on and he says, if the, if the darkness come from within a man and prevents him from seeing the light of Jesus, it doesn't matter how bright and glorious Jesus is, he can't see it. A man without an eye might as well be without the sun, so far as light is concerned, unquote. You see, the real problem, and it's not a literal eye, it's, it's our heart. It's a diseased heart. It's a wicked heart, an unbelieving heart. Mar, one commentator said this, quote, If any of my readers are like that, if they see the carpenter but cannot see the Lord, let me ask them tenderly and quietly, what kind of life have you been living? You see, the problem is a diseased heart. It's an evil heart of unbelief. But I want you to notice thirdly, the overwhelming evidence presented in the scriptures. In verses 30 through 32, well, let me go back to verse 29. Again, start there. It says, And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with this men of this generation, and shall condemn them. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. 
For they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Now, if you were to go to a court of law, one of the things that you'll see happen most times is you'll have a lawyer who will be presenting evidence, and he might say something like this, uh, Your Honor, I want to present Exhibit A as evidence. And he'll, you know, he might give him a picture. He might give him something on a, you know, on a piece of paper, a copy of something, or, or a, a testimony of someone, or, or something that is, and they call it, they call it an exhibit. The Lord here is kind of saying, hey, here's exhibit A, and here's exhibit B. Jonas, or Jonah, and the Queen of the South, Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba, of course, came to hear Solomon. She had heard about him. And when she saw the great works that God did for and through Solomon, she praised God. She didn't say, show me more and maybe I'll believe. She simply said, the half has not been told. You see, the point is, Queen of Sheba and the men of Nineveh were both Gentiles. But they had a heart that was more open to the things of God than the religious people of Jesus' day. And to many people of our day who will not believe and receive the work of God right before their eyes. You know, Jonah only preached. I wonder how long he preached. He simply preached repentance. And, you, you know, except you repent, God's going to destroy this place in 40 days. So we know he preached less than 40 days in Nineveh. And they repented from the least to the greatest. From the king to the pauper. They all repented. Jesus preached for three and a half years. And few repented at his preaching. Some probably said, well, you know, you're not, and this is what they're saying, you know, we want another sign. In other words, you're not shining bright enough. The light's not bright enough. But we could go on and on. You know, we could enter... Exhibit C, Isaiah 7.14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. We could exhibit Daniel 9, verses 25 and 26. Daniel 9, verses 25 and 26, where the prophet Daniel says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks the streets shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks, that's 483 years, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the sanctity and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war desolations are determined. 
So from the commandment to build and restore the wall in Jerusalem, which is Nehemiah chapter 2. Artaxerxes gave commandment to Nehemiah to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And, and so, and so the, the prophet here, Daniel, is saying that 483 years from then, Messiah will be cut off. Every Jew that studies the Old Testament Scriptures has to know that the Messiah has already come. Right? You would think so. Hey, Philip knew. In John chapter 1, verse 45, he says, Hey, Nathaniel, come see. They, him whom Moses and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. Philip knew. Philip knew he's here. See, every Jew ought to know that the Messiah has already come, but they're still looking for him. They're still looking for him. What happened to 483 years from the time that this decree went forth? That does correspond, by the way, to the crucifixion. Or many say to the triumphal entry. You know, Proverbs 11, 14 and 15.22 says this, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15.22, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. You know, we have a multitude of counselors in the Word of God that have given testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is who He said He was. Multitudes. You know, Luke himself gives us indisputable evidence to these truths. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in, Luke, in, in the very first chapter, in Luke chapter 1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth the, an order, a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as he delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So Luke had, had done a thorough investigation of the facts, of the evidence, concerning the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's penned here for us. And in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, he, taught, he calls them infallible proofs. In chapter 1, he talks about the birth. In chapter two, 1 and 2, the birth, the heritage that he is the son of David. Chapter 3 talks about his heritage. And there is evidence after evidence after evidence, or we might say miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Now, 
let's put it in what they said. Sign after sign after sign after sign. But they still wanted another sign. Think about it. Luke chapter 4 verse 30. He cast out a demon. Luke chapter 4 verse 39. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. Luke chapter 5 verse 13. He cleanses a leper. In verse 23, he heals a paralyzed man. In chapter 6, verse 10, he heals a man with a withered hand. Chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, he heals the centurion's servant. Chapter 7, verse 15, he raises a widow's son from the dead. Chapter 8, he heals the demoniac. He heals the woman with the issue of blood who 12 years. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. In chapter 9, he feeds 5,000 men and women. And all these things were done in an area about the size of the state of Georgia. Now let me ask you a question. If all this stuff would have been done in an area from here to the coast in the state of North Carolina, would you hear about it? I guarantee you hear about it. And if it was not true, it would be proven to be phony, without a doubt. And yet, here they are, and they want another sign. They want another sign. You know, Proverbs tells us that fools despise wisdom and instruction. This really reveals the character of those who seek signs. They refuse to receive the instruction and a multitude of counsels. Counsel. You know, think of it this way. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. You know what brutish means? It really means, and I don't like to call people this, it means you're stupid. Again, Proverbs 24.6, For wise, wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors, there is safely, safety. You see, we have, we have in the scriptures a multitude of counselors that bear, bear testimony to the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he is Jehovah, that he can do anything, that he will keep his promises, that he will provide for our needs. You know, from Isaiah and Jeremiah to Ezekiel to Daniel to Micah, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, they all give testimony to this. In fact, look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John, his whole purpose is, uh, of writing the gospel of John is summed up in John chapter 20 and verses 
30 and 31, where he says, and many other signs. Now, he didn't even record all of them. Many other signs, truly to Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. You see, these are all written. These are all recorded. But it all boils down to this. You have to choose to believe it. You have to choose to believe it. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John 10 verse 1 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now that's another way of saying, Lord, um, we need another sign. We don't believe the first one. Or the second one, third one, fourth one, or the hundredth one, or the two hundredth one. We need another sign. We're gonna, we need to, we're gonna, we're gonna try another way. See, faith is a choice. I am the door. By many, me, if any man, what's that next word? Enter in. See, I've got to enter. I've got to choose. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Remember in John three three, except a man enter into the kingdom. Of God, Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, you've got to enter. You've got to have faith. In John 11, 45 through 48, we see this evidence here, this, 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 this rejection of the, of the Pharisees, in, in John eleven forty five, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. So, so we're talking about here, God, the Lord Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. And many believed on him. That convinced them. They put their faith and their trust in him. They, they surrendered their life to him. But notice the next verse. But some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees at council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. In other words, they ain't denying that it's his miracles. But here's 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 shows you their evil heart. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. So the truth comes out. They're not willing to surrender their positions, their fortunes, their prestige, their pride to the Lord. They're afraid. See, they're afraid. Of the Lord taken away 
what they cannot keep to get what they cannot lose. Think about it. They're afraid of the Lord taking away what they cannot keep to get what they cannot lose. Go to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We have an illustration of this from the Old Testament. In Hebrews 3 and verse 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Yeah, we all know the story of the twelve spies that Moses sent into the promised land to view the land. And they all came back. And they all gave testimony about the goodness of the land. I mean, there's, it's a land of milk and honey, of figs, of pomegranates, of grapes, of eshgol, and they had carried some of them out. You know, there, there's, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful land. But that was as far as where the twelve agreed. Of course, the ten, what they saw was walled cities and giants. Caleb and Joshua, what they saw was a promise that God had given to them. You know, I don't know. I don't know if the Bible records everything that Caleb may have said. We see, Caleb still had in his mind the dividing of the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army, the most powerful military might in the world, being destroyed in one day, not by them, but by their God. Caleb still had in his mind when they got into the land of uh, the wilderness and there's no water. He still sees that water coming out of the rock to supply their thirst. And when there's no food, he can see the manna coming down every day. Supply their, their need. And he still has in his mind, God said, I will give thee this land, go in and possess it. And Caleb and Joshua chose to believe the evidence of the power of God that they had been given to carry them through what was to come. You see, they believed God. Based on the witnesses that they had, You know, you and I, you know, we can't see God. 
But unless you're blind, you can see him working. I look at some of you and I see God at work. I see God at work. I see God at work in our world today. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That's a testimony of scripture. It's at work in the world today. But yet I see good things happening in our world today. God is still at work. If you have eyes of faith to see it. You see, we have to choose whom we will believe. But it's a dangerous thing to not believe God. Because John, 1 John 5.10 says, He that believeth not hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God has given of his son. You know, we have a record, an indisputable record, from a multitude of witnesses and counselors. We need to choose to believe him. And that means to stake my life on it. That means we need to be willing to give up. Again, give up what you cannot keep to get what you cannot lose. Are you accepting the evidence by faith or are you closing your eyes to the truth unwilling to surrender your life to the Lord? Again, in John 11... You know, some of them saw what Jesus didn't believe. Some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told. Some chose to unbelief. Where are you this morning? Are you going to choose to believe? The evidence, the evidence is overwhelming. Won't you believe him? Won't you trust him? Won't you surrender your life to him?